here Bible Church. If I have not yet had the chance to meet you, my name is Jesse, and for the most part, I uh, I have the blessed opportunity to uh, to preach God's word here and and to walk us through the scriptures. And so, if uh, if I've never met you, that's who I am. I'd love to meet you at some point. Uh, if you want to get connected, you've been coming the last uh, couple weeks, or or maybe you've made a New Year's resolution to be more religious. Uh, and if that, <laughs> you laugh because you know how funny that is. Um, if that happens to be you, we'd love for you to visit our info booth to, uh, to get to know us. We have some information for you, some free gifts. Uh, next week, uh, we are launching a new bulletin, uh, hopefully, and it'll have all the uh, stuff for the visitors in there. Uh, it'll be a little bit easier for you. And this morning, we are going to pick up back into Galatians. So go ahead and turn there while I just mentioned a few announcements. And um, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, raise your hand. One of these uh, guys will hand you uh, a Bible that you can use or you can take if you need to own one. We'd love for you to have a Bible um, on us. So, uh, And then, hey, can I just share with you as we, we enter into 2020, uh, just something that I think is good to look back on in 2019 and just evidences of God's grace. So if you're new, one of the things that I make a concerned effort, uh, concerted effort towards and our staff and our leadership, we pray for new people to visit us all the time. We, we generally believe that this message of Jesus is for all people. And we believe that God wants to reach more people uh, who don't know Jesus in the Tahoe Basin. And so we really care about people who come and are questioning and asking about who Jesus is. In fact, I, I hear remarks all the time of people who, uh, who are coming back to Christianity uh, through the ministry of Sierra Bible Church. I hear people who are once atheists who are becoming Christians uh, these are stories that, that because we are still a smaller community to a degree, I can't give you names, but man, it's exciting to see people who don't know Jesus come to Jesus. And uh, we had our Christmas Eve service, obviously uh, not that long ago. It was the largest Christmas Eve service in the history of Sierra Bible Church. Well over, yeah, praise the Lord. <clears throat> well over 800 people uh, were here for Christmas Eve, which is <laughs> incredible. So we uh, we always try to prepare for a certain amount. And uh, we, we last year, we said, hey, we needed to raise some funds to replace some of our digital stuff, our video screens and all that, in part to send the sermons next door in our other building for overflow. And, and, and that came also in part uh, from, a, from a visit from the fire marshal who said, you can't, you, you can't shove that many people in this room and um, you need to find out uh, something to do or we're going to have to shut you down. And um, so I said, okay, we'll try to fix that. And uh, so what we did is we packed a bunch of people in here and we lit candles. So um, <clears throat> here's the deal, though. I told, I told all the, the volunteers who were, who were awesome and helping out to make sure we had at least 20 chairs next door for overflow. Uh, and so they set up 20 chairs because that's what I requested. And we had almost 120 people next door. And this is a true story. We pulled every chair we own out uh, and, and everyone ran and made it work. We even had our nursery chairs out for people to sit in next door. And um, we were rushing. And, hey, I, I share that because I just think I, I get excited to know that even though uh, it seems we live in a dark day and a dark age, Jesus still is in the business of bringing people to himself. And so could we just give Jesus a round of applause for being amazing and being awesome? Um, so, I, yeah, I just had to share that with you. I'm excited about it. And then uh, um, we have a couple things we want to make you aware of uh, that we've got coming up. One of them is we have a youth uh, retreat coming up. And so I'm going to ask Caleb 
our youth pastor to come up, and he's going to share with you an opportunity to uh, help support this uh, event as well as to get your, your uh, students signed up for, um, for, for it as well. Good morning, church. Um, we are taking our high school students to Mount Hermon, which is um, just above Santa Cruz. And the purpose of camp for me, like my heart in it, is Jesus made it his practice to get away, to go into the mountains and seek the Lord. And as I've served in youth ministry, I've actually seen the most profit in return from, from summer and winter camps. Uh, you take students out of their environment, put them, you know, in, in an environment where, they're, you know, they're not attached to their cell phone, <laughs> and you add Bible and uh, Christian community, and things happen. Um, the, the students go through it, just about three Bible studies a day. We try and make sure we build in time for them to get alone and read their Bibles and actually be quiet and listen to the Lord, and stuff always happens. Um, and, and so there's that aspect of them seeking the Lord, but also building friendships. Real friendships is um, something that's very much lacking in the high school uh, culture today. Like they say they have friends, but they're not real friends. They don't take each other seriously. They don't um, deeply care about each other. I mean, there's just, without the gospel in their lives, they don't have the ability to really care for one another. Camps, a ride down with the, you know, with each other, spending time in a cabin together with their leaders, it develops real friendships that are built on Christ and it changes lives. And so please, um, invest in these kids, uh, these students' futures, and their spiritual lives. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Caleb. So, <clears throat> so what next door, what we have right now next door is we have some treats for you uh, next door for purchase. He's doing a, a bake sale to help raise funds to send kids to camp. Uh, and so maybe you would consider sponsoring a kid uh, in addition to maybe purchasing some, some sweets for you. If you haven't had enough sugar by now, dear Lord, there's something wrong with you. So we... Um, we, here's the thing. I told Caleb, uh, and this has been something that, that was important for me when I was doing youth ministry. It was important for Wayne uh, as well. And, and that is just the history that we have here to ensure that no child or leader ever says that they can't go to an event because they can't afford it. Uh, and so we do everything that we can to make the trips cost effective or to give scholarships to kids if they need it or leaders or, or what have you. If you want to give a scholarship to that, we would, we would be uh, totally uh, blessed if you would do that for us. Uh, you can talk with Caleb about what his needs are there and how many kids he's trying to send uh, next door. Uh, but we want to make sure we get as many kids uh, there as possible. Uh, and then uh, this year, we're also launching into the second part of Genesis. And so I think Courtney's going to come up and share a little bit about... Courtney, are you okay? You guys want to hear, hear a funny story? <laughs> Courtney was one of my first high school students, uh, so f- over 15 years, and she's always had a tripping problem, so <laughs> thanks for the entry. I'm glad others could see what I've known for so long. And I'm glad you're okay, that too. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone here. So now you feel bad for me and you have to listen to everything I'm saying and do what I say. <laughs> uh, my name is Courtney and I am part of the Women's Ministry Board here at Sierra Bible. And one of the things that we are very passionate about is Bible studies. Man, I can't even remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> um, 
we do a Bible, we do many Bible studies here at the church, and whether you are a man or a woman, we want you in the word. When you are in the word, that's when we can fight against the lies of this culture. It's when we can fight for our families, fight for our friends, fight for our coworkers. And so we want each and every one of you in this church to be in a Bible study, but specifically women talking to you. We have a lot of awesome Bible studies here for you, and my little commercial is for a Tuesday morning Bible study. We used to meet at 9.30, but now we're meeting at 9, so 9 to 11. We're doing the second part of Genesis, and if you feel like, oh, well, I didn't do the first part, so I can't come, that's another lie. You absolutely can come and learn. And we have childcare for those of you who have kids, and it'll be a great time, and... That's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Careful. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. And then, uh, and, and then uh, also, in addition to that, I want you to mark the calendars for Financial Peace University. Wayne, who's standing in the back right there on my left, you're right, uh, he's facilitating this. And it's a class that will help you uh, really get free from debt. I, he was telling the first service uh, last year when we did it, up to this date, between the 30-plus attendants, over $100,000 worth of debt completely wiped out uh, in taking that class. Yeah, that is amazing. So um, sign up, and uh, that's at the info booth as well, and we'd love for you to partake. With that said, let's, let's get into the Word this morning, which is why we are here and we are gathered. Uh, this morning, the title of the message is Freedom from Galatians 5, uh, chat, verses. It says 5 through 18. It's actually 1 through 15, so that's uh, a, mis, uh, a mistype there. And uh, if you haven't been with us before, we, as Courtney mentioned, we love God's Word, and we do everything we can to honor it, to get into it, and to grow from it. Would you please stand with me if you're able to this morning as we honor the reading of His Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> Chapter 5, uh, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Um. So we, we actually are starting in this particular segment, part three of Paul's dissertation to the Galatians. So again, just to remind you, Paul planted this church, essentially planted this church, 
And when Paul left to do his missionary work, these Judaizers, that is, Jews who believed in Jesus, came into the Galatian church and began to teach that in order to really be saved, number one, you, you didn't have to believe Paul. Paul was not a true apostle, according to their argument. And number two, you had to obey the law of God. So they basically were saying, not Paul, but yes to Moses. And that Moses gave us the law, the, the to-dos and the don'ts. That, that in order to be saved, you have to do these things. One of these things Paul brings up in the text is circumcision. That in order to truly be saved, one, especially the men, right, had to be circumcised to come to salvation. So Paul, in the first part of the letter to Galatians, he spends time defending his, uh, him, him being an apostle. That he is an apostle. And so he defends that. And he, he mentions that he's actually seen Jesus and that he's walked with Jesus, that he's heard from Jesus himself, and that he has every authority to preach what he's preaching. The second part of the, the, this book is he begins to uh, argue that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And that argument never goes away in Galatians. In fact, it never goes away in any of the New Testament. And so Paul reminds his readers, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You're saved by grace, not by Moses, not by circumcision, but through a relationship with Jesus alone. Now, the third part is Paul begins to take all of his doctrinal views, and in this part from chapter 5 on, he will begin to speak about the, the custom Christian practices, or a better way to say it is, what does right Christian living look like? What is, what is practical Christian living look like? In order to understand this, we, we need to see, uh, as it states here in the very first verse, look at verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So, so Paul is letting us know, he, and in fact, actually many commentators and theologians say, chapter 5, verse 1, is the summary of the entire book. Like if you want to understand what Galatians is about, chapter 5, verse 1 is it. For freedom, Christ set us free. That was the purpose of Jesus, to set us free. Now, this word freedom is a really interesting word for us as Americans, is it not? Because we talk a lot about freedom. Uh, in fact, we, many, many Americans would say we are the freest society there is. Uh, it's a mantra that we as Americans uh, quote quite a bit. We, we want independence. We want freedom to do anything. And, and we live in a society uh, today, really, where you have more freedom to do anything that you want than we ever have before. And just think of the tremendous freedoms that we have now. For instance, you can marry anybody you want. You can. It's basically legal now. You, you, can, you can actually change your gender. Believe it or not, you, you, can, even, you can even say there is no gender, binary. So we would say in our culture, we say, look at the freedoms we have. We have so much freedom that now if you don't want to work in a, a coal uh, mining coal place, or, or if you don't want to do hard work, did you know this is true? You can make millions of dollars creating content on YouTube. Did you know that? Did you know you can make millions of dollars playing video games? This is true. Now, not most of, most of us couldn't do that, but some do. And there's a real industry in getting likes and follows, even on social media. You can make money from having a well-followed Instagram account. We can make money with these things now. So here's the deal. We, we can do anything that we want. You can do anything that you can imagine as long as you're not harming somebody else. Now, we would say in our culture, now I'm speaking culturally here, not biblically, that this is <clears throat> freedom. We have freedom. However, I would argue that we live today in more slavery than ever before. The result of such freedoms 
have been addiction, whether it's to substance abuse or pornography or passion or sex or violence, or if you're, uh, if you're not addicted to those things, maybe you're addicted to a cell phone, a video game. We even have people who are addicted to taurine. You know what taurine is? It's the magical ingredient in Red Bull. And this is a true story. They're actually, they're actually, you're like, oh, yeah, now I know what that is. <laughs> taurine. Um, there are actually clinics in the U.K., for taurine addiction. We live in a day and age that says we have more freedom than anything else, but in reality, we're more slaves to anything than we ever have been before. Statistics have have told us that depression is higher than it ever has been. The suicide rate is higher than it ever has been because we see that this idea of freedom really is no freedom at all. And Paul, in part, is, is talking about this idea of freedom in Jesus that comes through grace, but he's also talking about practical Christian living. He's talking about particular confinements that a Christian should have in order to truly be free, because we have to truly define what freedom is. Freedom is not doing anything that you want. That's not what freedom is. It's never that. In fact, I would tell you theologically, doctrinally, something about God, that God is not totally free. I like saying statements like that because those in the room who who think they're biblical go, what do you mean God's not free? He can't sin. He can't dive into darkness because he is confined to the nature in which God is, which is holy and right and correct and beautiful and all that is light, that is God. He is confined to his nature. Now, likewise, you and I are confined. Before we come to Jesus Christ, we're confined to a particular kind of nature. And the Bible tells us that before we come to Jesus, that we are sinners, that we're depraved. That's the language that's used, that we're in darkness. And it says literally about those of us who don't believe in Jesus, the culture that doesn't believe in Jesus, that they are slaves to darkness, they are blind, and they cannot see. By nature, they they are not allowed to have a particular freedom, and that freedom is to ultimately follow God. And it isn't until we see the gospel, the the center of what the Bible is all about, where Jesus saves humanity, makes himself evident through the intervention of his grace, being born as a baby as we've just celebrated, dying the death on the cross that he did on our behalf, and coming back from the dead to defeat death. When he intervenes in our life, he makes us alive. Now we finally can see. But it isn't until you get a new nature that you get the new kind of freedom to say no to sin. See, before Jesus Christ, you can't say no. You just follow your passions and your inclinations. Then Jesus comes into your life, and hopefully you have this marker where you know you were saved, and then you look back in your life and you realize, I can say no to that. I don't have to do these things anymore. I once was blind. Now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. What amazing grace this is, right? And so Paul tells us here that the idea that that we have freedom must be understood that freedom always has particular kind of boundaries and constraints. Uh, The greatest illustration of this, I think, is if you take a fish out of the lake and you place him on the dock, how free is it? It's not very free. But inside the water, the fish is free. And ultimately what Paul's argument is in in regards to Galatians is, is that true freedom, like the fish swimming in the water, like the bird flying in the air, for the human being is found in the biblical confines of the grace of Jesus Christ and not outside of that. What kind of freedom does he give us? I'll just give you a couple things that are important to note. Number one, uh, a conscience freedom, a freedom of conscience. When you get into a right relationship, when you, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you enter into this right relationship with God, because that's what Paul's talking about. 
He wants us to have a correct relationship with the maker of the universe. Okay, that, that's what the entire Bible is all about. How do we have a correct relationship with God? Everything is centering around that. And so he says, he says, okay, freedom, one of the freedoms we have is the freedom of not feeling guilt, shame, slavery of sin, condemnation of sin, or motivation of sin. We are free from guilt. We're free from shame. That's conscience. It's inside our minds. But then we're free of a motivational kind of freedom. We don't have to earn anyone's love. It takes us away from the drive of performance to obtain a right-standing relationship with God. We don't have to try to get our self-worth from anything other than Jesus. And all those things I mentioned, YouTube content, Instagram, video gaming, whatever it may be, all of those things, the driver behind those things is to get us to feel like we can get our self-worth from enough attention. If we get, it's all about self-worth. It's all about image. So we portray our best foot forward to the degree that it's so malicious that even when we confess our issues on social media, it's all in part a ploy and act to be accepted by society. And what Paul is ultimately saying is, you're not going to get your freedom from these things by striving for them from other people. You're only going to get them from Jesus. Now, here's what we need to see in the text that's really, really important about this freedom. So Paul's stating, you have freedom from conscience. You have freedom from motivation of trying to earn love. However, he says you can lose this freedom. And he's letting the readers of Christianity, those who believe in grace, that we must be careful lest we lose the joy and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Verse 1 again, and do not submit what? Again to a yoke of slavery. See, he's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, but you are trying to maybe figure out this whole idea of God, that's what a, basically a Gentile is, someone who didn't believe in God and then through faith came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these individuals were saved in Galatia, and, and what happened was, he says, that you were running the race so well, who hindered you from actually following the way that you should? And he tells us here, he says, he says, <clears throat> don't fall under this yoke again. The word again is important because he's stating, you didn't believe in Jesus at one point in time. There was a time you didn't believe in God. And when you didn't believe in God, you were a slave. You were a slave to your own inclinations and your own flesh. And now you, got, you knew Jesus. You were running well. And you knew who Jesus was. And now he's saying you've got to be careful because you can fall back into the same slavery. Because what he's saying is any time that you try to add to Jesus Christ, you lose Christ. So he says if, if, you're, if you're wanting to make sure that you don't lose your freedom, you have to stand firm in your freedom. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. What does it look like to stand firm? That's the implication. Here's what I want you to see this morning. First of all, that word stand firm is a military term for an individual or a group to keep alert and to be strong, to resist attack, and to stick together. So it's, it's about resistance of a particular a particular foe or enemy that we partake in together as a group. 1 Corinthians 16.3 says, be watchful, stand firm. And then it speaks to the men. In faith, act like men and be strong. 
Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. Let me backtrack to you and help you see something. The commandment is to stand firm, and we'll give the implications of what that looks like as you enter into 2020. Because that you've got a whole year ahead of you, that, and, and in, in part, you've had a, you have an opportunity now to look back at the whole year behind you. What was your 2019 marked by? What do you want 2020 to be marked by? What do you want your life to be marked by? And hopefully, I was telling Wayne this after the first service, it's marked by greater freedom and joy in Jesus. Do you want more of that in 2020? So let's backtrack. He says, Paul says, who has hindered you? Who has hindered you from running this race that you were running so well? Look at, I'm going to do this not necessarily in order. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you? Now, Paul doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know who. He, he knows who did it. Paul's, Paul's not, not uh, blind to what has happened. He knows what's occurring, what's going on. He knows who's hindering them. He's asking the question for the audience to ask the question for themselves and for you and I to ask the question for ourselves. What, what has hindered me from running well? And this is, this is language that Paul uses now after all of this grace talk that we're saved not by what we do, but by what Jesus did. He now starts to use kind of working language, practical language, like work hard and fight and stand firm. Because Paul ultimately, as Brad, I think Brad said it perfectly last week, as Brad uh, Beers taught last week, and he quoted uh, Dallas Willard. It was Dallas Willard, right? Brad, are you in here? I don't know if he's in and, and He's opposed, God is not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. Uh, and so, so here's the deal. He says, okay, I want you to understand something. Something has hindered you from following the truth. And, and that which has hindered you are false teachers. Teachers who were teaching something that seemed biblical, but they weren't. It's Paul's argument for biblical literacy, that you need to know your Bible. And notice something, if you ever get into the Gospels, you'll see Jesus, whenever he encounters a sinner, is tremendously gracious. When he talks to a prostitute, it's almost like, it's so taboo. If you read into the text and the culture, even today's culture, like, why is he so soft and gentle towards this scandalous woman? Why has he invited a tax collector into his presence? He's going to go eat with this guy? Does he not know how much he takes advantage of people's money? What is he doing? Jesus is gracious with these individuals who confess that they are sinners and they're lost. But when it comes to the religious elite, this is what's so hard to be a pastor in this day and age, just as much so as it was in, in his. He's stern, and he rebukes them. He calls them brood of vipers. At one point, he tells the Pharisees, your father is the devil. Like, totally politically correct thing to say. And, and the reality is, is it's because sometimes, sometimes, oftentimes, the religious do more damage to the gospel than that of a, of a sinner who's reconciled to God. And so he's warning us and he's telling us, he's saying, he's saying, these people, they will be punished. He says it in verses 10 through 12. There's a punishment for those kind of people. For the man who stands up from, at the pulpit and only teaches practical principles of faith, there's punishment for him. 
A pastor's job is not to get up here and just talk about the practicality of faith and how faith will make your life well and how God wants to bless you and how you must do these things and these things. That, that, those kind of people, Paul says, you've got to get rid of those people. Those are false teachers because in their message, there is no Jesus. He's warning us. We have to be centered on Jesus. They're going to be rebuked. John Stott says it like this. I venture to say that if there were, that if we were concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might cease from the land. He's warning us. Paul tells us in verse 9, these individuals are kind of like a cancer. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You put just a little bit of this stuff in there and it's going to get at the church. It's going to dissolve the church. It's going to expand in the church. Let me ask you the question this morning. As you think about 2019 and, and what, what was, and you think about your future in 2020, what is the leaven that may be in your life that is hindering you in being in a right, correct relationship with Jesus? Yes, to you're saved by grace. You are. But you still have to put some kind of effort into your faith and your walk with God. That's why there's a such thing called spiritual disciplines. Have you ever heard of these before? We have, I think, some on our website, a, a teaching from Bad, Brad Beers that he did not that long ago. We have to put effort into this walk with God. And listen to what he says, though. He says, he says if you remember, this is craziness. He says, he says, these individuals are telling you that in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And these people are unsettling you. And these individuals who are unsettling you, look at what he says in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And now I've got to say this as uh, eloquently in this room as I possibly can in a mixed audience. See, God in the Old Testament put this practice in place for the Jews. He said, listen, I want you to be separated from all other cultures and all other people. I want when you leave the, the, from slavery and you go into the promised land, I want the rest of the world who doesn't know me to know why you're special and unique. And he wanted to use a visible a very intimate, very visible way to do this. And he said the men within Judaism needed to circumcise themselves. That is to remove that extra flesh upon the body that is not needed. That was the practice. At eight days old, which is miraculous because it's right around the time when the blood coagulates perfectly and, and there's not going to be a major issue with it. And so this was the practice. And so now you move into the New Testament and you've got Gentiles who know nothing about God learning about God and learning about the God of the New Testament and, ha and how the God of the New Testament is also the God of the Old Testament and how the God of the Old Testament has come in the form of a baby and has come to save us. And this is the new message that they're hearing. And all of a sudden, here comes these religious people and they say, well, in order for you to really be saved, you too must be circumcised. Imagine if that was the message of salvation for us this morning. Men, I have some terrible news. <laughs> but that was the message that they were preaching to these other men. And Paul says, absolutely not. And this is the point in the text where we see Paul. He's impassioned, he's invigorated, he's, he's enlivened, and he's angry, and he's frustrated. And he says, you know what, these guys who are teaching this false stuff, I would hope they just cut the whole thing off. That's what he says. This is why you've got to read the Bible. It's like, he said, What? Wait, wait, hold on. You can read it again. And I like how we word it in our English language. Emasculate themselves. 
It's like the most polite way we could say it. I just wish they'd, the, in other translations it would say, I wish they would go the whole way. You know why this is important though? Because the reason that that piece of flesh was cut away was to represent in part that the flesh needed to be gone away with and that a new life of the spirit needed to be adopted. It was an image for us to see that now we're circumcised in the heart. That's what the Bible says. We have a new circumcision where the piece of the heart that does not want to follow Jesus is cut away and we're given a new heart, not a heart of stone, it would say in the Old Testament, but a heart of flesh, a new heart that we would follow Jesus. And Paul ultimately is saying, listen, these individuals are teaching these things. They're like cancer, and I wish they would just get rid of them. What is it that's in your life that's like cancer that just needs to be cut away completely? When you look back on 2019 and you say, you know what? These, there's things that hindered me and my walk with God. What are those things? And cut them away this morning. In a few moments, we'll have the opportunity to partake in communion, and it is something that you should legitimately ask that question. What is it in my life that is fleshy, that is like that circumcision that just needs to be removed. I don't need it anymore because I only, in reality, all I really need is Jesus and Jesus alone. I need nothing else. So Paul gives us this commandment to stand firm. And specifically, he's speaking of standing firm in the grace of Jesus, that you're not saved by what you do. And one of the things that just bothers me so much as a as a pastor at times, is, is to try to move people away from, from trying to earn their faith and trying to do faith in a, in a sense that is somehow maybe politically motivated or, or motivated to try to earn God's love instead of just, man, we get the opportunity to sit in the presence of God this morning. I rejoice in that, that we get to do it together. So here's the first way you stand firm. It's found in verse 2 through 4. Point one, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage. It's his way of saying, if you try to, to be in a relationship with God based off of works, Jesus is worthless. And then he goes on and he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. And then he goes on and says this, for through the Spirit, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. There's some important things in here. The first one is you have to value the gospel. He says it well here. He says, if, if you accept these things, then Jesus is of no value to you. That's the language that he's using there. He's of no benefit to you. The first thing that we need to do, I think, when we think of, of standing firm and when we think of, of living a life that, that truly is going to be for our best benefit and our joy, it's to value Jesus above religion. It's to value Jesus for Jesus. It's to value Jesus and, and the reality that Jesus loves us, he cares for us, he pursues us, he saves us, and he's sovereign over our lives, both for the good and the bad. We must value the great name of Jesus. The only way we'll ever be healthy is with a, a fullness of who Jesus is. Like my hope, we want more of Jesus this morning. You don't need more Jesse. You don't need more Brad. You don't need more Wayne. You don't need another pastor. You don't need a bigger building. What we need more than anything else is a high value and a high praise of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, I just want more of that. 
and less of all the other stuff. It's a reminder for me to just cut off the things that distract me from seeing God as the most valuable thing there is. Number two, we have to have our hope and our faith in the gospel. Look at verse five. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, look at what he says, eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He uses the word hope, and he uses the word we're, we're waiting for this hope. Number two is hope and waiting in the coming promises of the Lord. That word hope literally means powerful assurance in something. And that assurance is that one day we will be made completely like he is. It's not today. We wish it would be for some of us. Some of us have aches and pains, and we want to feel the presence of our new body now. I I notice every Sunday, those of you who kind of limp into church, and you limp out of church, and, and that is the body groaning for this return. It's the body saying, I'm hoping in the newness of God's kingdom that is promised to come. We just celebrated the first coming of Jesus, and one day we will all celebrate the second coming of Jesus. Number three, we have to live the gospel. Look at verse six. Verse six says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only what? Faith, and there's the language, working through love. Anybody put in a hard day's work? How, How many of you parents found Christmas to be a little bit of work? Anybody? Anybody tired? I mean, it's 2020 has just started. I remember my wife saying, the holiday, we have all this time off. We had, the kids had two weeks off. They've never been more exhausted. They haven't been to school. They haven't had to get up early, but they still stay up late. We had a couple kids stay the night over at our house. Midnight. They went to bed at midnight. You'd think they would have slept until 10. No, 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 no. 6 a.m., bright and early. It's it's work. And Paul's saying to us, he says here in this particular passage, he says, you've got to work and you've got to work at the idea of love. You hear that? You've got to work at the idea of love. In fact, faith in God, faith in Jesus, faith in his promises should energize love. That's what he's saying. Faith energizes love. And because faith, where hope is the assurance of something, faith is assurance lived out. I hope in it, but I hope in it so radically and so perfectly that I'm actually going to make this a part of my daily life. And Paul is saying one of those things that you've got to do to stand firm is you've got to love. And there's multiple layers of this love. The first idea of that love is that you are loved by Jesus. Listen to this author here. He says, My good performance does not make me right with God. Nor does my bad performance really make me any more lost and hopeless. All stand equally lost and equally able to be saved. A Christian, when he or she has just experienced the success, should say, but this success does not increase Christ's love for me. In fact, it is only because of his love for me that this has happened, not the other way around. So he's saying, saying, every blessing you have, you don't go, well, I had the blessing because, man, I've been doing such a good good job with God. He's saying, no, 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 every blessing you have is just simply because he loves you and he graces upon you. And I tell our staff this as often as I possibly can. We've had some successes as a church, 
We've had some blessings as a church. We've had some great things happen. We've got a tremendous group of people that are part of Sierra Bible Church, and it has nothing to do with what we've done. Even when other pastors will ask, how come you're doing this? How come you got that? How did you end up with this? And I just simply say, at the end of the day, I can give you all of my little strategies, but at the end of the day, it's because Jesus loves us, period. And if, and if by God's grace, and it would be a grace, God said, you know what? I'm gonna take all of these people and I'm gonna spread them abroad and you're gonna be left with a church of five. That too is the grace of Jesus. That, that God would allow us to pour into five is amazing. That he would allow us to pour into more than 500 is amazing, but they're all valuable and they're all worth something. We don't put the emphasis on the number, we put the emphasis on the goodness of Jesus that he still reaches people because he loves people. Right now, this Sunday, there, there are churches who are bigger than us and there are churches who are smaller than us. And some of, us, some of them in this area are doing the best they can to preach the goodness of Jesus. And we rejoice that there's still people preaching God's word. We just rejoice in it. And we thank God for it. This quote goes on and says, and a Christian, when he or she has just experienced a failure, should say, if I had not failed in this way, that would not make me any more loved and accepted by God at this moment. My performance is irrelevant. In fact, God is always working for my good. He has allowed this to happen because he loves me, not because he doesn't. What a radical principle. Do you see Do you see the beauty in this? That, that whether it's good or whether it's bad has nothing to do with your right standing with God. It has to do with God's love for you no matter what because no matter what, you are in a right standing with God based upon grace. You're loved by him. And then because you're loved by him, as I mentioned earlier, you value him and you love him back. And then the Bible is really, really clear about how you then show love to God. And it's in the text. You know what it is? How do you love God? By loving others. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But before we get to the serve one another, just take notice because this is number four on my list if you're taking notes, that if you're really going to stand firm, you cannot use the gospel of grace as an excuse for the freedom of the flesh. You can't say, well, because I'm, I'm saved, because I'm saved, I, I, I can do whatever I want. Jesus is going to love me anyways. As Wayne has said before, God loves sinners. I like to sin. And what a great relationship. Because if you understand what Jesus has paid, if you understand the principle, again, of freedom, freedom is that you truly are free. In order to truly be free, you have to understand that sin always enslaves you. It's that leaven he talks about. You, you let a little bit in, and before you know it, you can't understand how you got where you're going. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. We do everything we can. This is why we always say, go to the info booth. Go to the info booth. We do everything we can to try to stay in touch with all of the people who come to Sierra Bible Church. Bible studies is one of the ways that we do that. We also... Uh, hopefully at some point, and Wayne's pretty good about this, uh, try to hand you a piece of paper you actually have to fill out so we can get your name and your number. And then we take that name and we take that number and we put it in a list of names. And then every Christmas we check it twice to see who's naughty or nice. I'm I'm just kidding. We take that list, we take that list with its numbers, we divide them amongst our elders, uh, and then our elders 
pray for and hopefully reach out to as many of you as possible. To stay, uh, to stay in, in touch with you and to know how you're doing. This is the idea that, that, that they're serving you and they love you and they want to see you thrive and they want to see you do well. And we must serve one another, not, not be absorbed with ourselves. I think I've got another quote here. It says, when God fills the emptiness of our hearts with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope and he frees us, listen, this is, this is huge. He frees us from the bondage to accumulate things and manipulate people. People who devote large hunks of their life to surrounding themselves with the comforts of this world testify that God has not filled the void of their heart to overflowing. He's almost looking, saying, look at, look at your life. Are you, are you hoarding things? Are you getting things? Are you trying to get Instagram likes? And Are you trying to get these kind of things? Are you trying to see how many people? Because if that's the case, you are testifying to the world that Jesus is not sufficient. Now, let, let's be clear. That doesn't mean you can't use social media as a tool to reach people, yeah? We use it. Uh, in fact, I had a, a buddy of mine who came up to me in the gym that I hadn't seen in a little while, Went to high school with him. He's not a Christian, doesn't go to church. And he came up to me in the gym and he said, hey, man, thank you so much for the Facebook Live video sermon you posted the other day. I watched it. It was really good. And I thought, okay, we'll keep posting those stupid videos because you just never know who God's going to reach out in the world. And hopefully one day that individual would come to church because of it. Because we say it all the time, we don't want social media to be a replacement. We don't want YouTube or Facebook Live to be a replacement for being together because you can't serve one another if you're only on the screen. And here's the deal. Here's, here's the deal. Here's my, this is me. I think there are stats that would show this and prove this. Here's why I believe the, the, the rate of depression and substance abuse and, and suicide is so high. Because everything our culture does is about the individual and it's not about the community. And so Paul says, if you really want freedom, you've got to serve one another with love and with faith. You've got to in, encourage one another. You know what that means? It means, you, you, first of all, it means you, by God's grace, because God is good, you've got to keep coming to church. And this is what's so hard for me. I, I hate these kind of messages for one reason. Because, because I don't want to be up here as the car salesman. Buy into the program. Look at the interior. Look at how nice it is. I don't want to be that guy. It's all $5.99. You just tithe 10%, you'll be okay. Like I, I, feel, I feel a particular disdain that I would try to sell you a consumeristic version of Christianity that simply is the farthest thing from the truth of what Christianity is. Uh, rather, rather, I'm on this end saying, listen, listen, okay, Jesus came to me, and he did. My life was filled with hatred and drugs and alcohol. My parents did not know Jesus. I was around some of the worst people in, in, in humanity that you could be around. And somehow, someway, God came piercing into my mother's life and then into my life at the age of 12 years old, and Jesus intervened and saved me. 
And then later, he, he saved me from myself again while I was doing stupid things in college and dragged my butt down to San Diego to be part of a Calvary Chapel church that enlivened me and grew me and encouraged my faith in Jesus, built me up to be the leader that I am today and the person that loves the word of God that I am today. And I stand here and I go, man, I know what it was like to live like that, and I know what it's like to live like this with Jesus as the center of my marriage and the center of my kids' life and the center of my church and the center of my friendships. And it is so good, I could never hoard it to myself. I want you to have it too. I don't want to sell it to you. I don't want you to buy it. I want you to own it. And the way you own it is through faith in Jesus, the only Son of God. Thank you for the one clap. I deeply appreciate it. So here's the challenge this morning. At the very least, you would find freedom in Jesus by taking a step of service. I'm not trying to sell you. I'm trying to increase your joy. There's so many good things happening here because God loves us and he's good. I mean, I stand outside every single Sunday and watch young children pour out of these double doors. And it just never stops. They just keep coming. I stand there and I think they're done and then there's like three more and then five more. And I keep thinking, well, man, our our church really loves kids. And and I I see the 20 plus leaders we have in our youth ministry. 20 young people and married people who volunteer and serve. And, And I see someone like Amy Kraft who this morning, I don't know if you know who Amy is, but Amy set up communion, served in the coffee shop and the bookstore, and then served and did words. All in the span of just this morning. I think of individuals who, who plug away in the children's church and those who even do their best, and, and forgive us parents for when those stupid check-in systems don't work the way they're supposed to. But a volunteer to stand there, and, and in part, you want to know why we do that? We do to keep your kids safe. You know why we do some of these other things? Not necessarily just for you as a church, but because when somebody who doesn't know Jesus or somebody who's never been to our church before, when they come for the first time, we want them to know we love you and we care for you. And we try to find as many ways as possible for that one visitor to touch and feel and see as many of us as possible, hopefully with a smile on our face, rejoicing in who God is. And with that said, one of the things when I think of 2020 and, and in a few weeks, we'll be able to launch our whole year report where we, what did we do last year and what did God do in our lives? It's SBC and what are we gonna do for the future? One of the things that I'm wrestling through as a pastor is, is feeling this tension that, that, that Jesus really does, and I believe this with all my heart, Jesus really does want to save more people in the Tahoe Basin. Would you join Jesus in that? In praying for that? Like, that God, God wants to see more people come to the saving faith that Jesus offers and to that great joy that he gives us. We have an invitation to that this morning. At the same time, I I also wrestle with, we're not supposed to just be a church that goes wide and we we grow and more people get saved and more people get saved. We're also a church that's supposed to disciple people. And so how do we drive our people into depth, root them and anchor them into the word of God and and into the goodness of God so that they're true followers of Jesus, true disciples of Jesus, not just your Sunday consumeristic kind of person. And we'll just put all the cards on the table and say, if you're visiting here and you just come on Sundays, we're kind of 
we're kind of bent on really wanting to see you go deeper with your walk with God. Because he's worth it. Your joy is worth it. And your life is worth it. And at the end of the day, when all of it's said and done, and there's these successes, whatever those successes may be, and there's these failures, whatever those failures may be, we rejoice in that 2020 will glorify God because that's what God does. And we'll just say thank you for taking us along for the ride. I hope you enter into 2020 with grace. I hope you enter into 2020 with a, a, a hope to go deeper in the Bible and to go deeper into relationship with Jesus, and that you go deeper to serving one another. With that, we're going to partake in communion. So elders and deacons in the room, if you guys could come forward, please. <clears throat> I'm going to put our next steps up for um, the week. Just opportunity for you as we partake in communion uh, to thank and to consider some of these things. So I'm just going to share a little bit more. And as I do, guys, if you would please go ahead and hand out the, uh, the bread first. And family, when you, when you receive the bread and the juice, just hold on to them, uh, and we'll partake together. Because I just want to say a little bit about uh, the practice of communion. So, <clears throat> communion is an opportunity for you and I to sit at the table with Jesus. And it's an opportunity to remember. And Jesus himself said, when you do this, do it often, practice it. We try to do this as much as we can. We, uh, most of the time, we do it once a month. I know some churches do it every week. I'm a little envious of those churches personally. But we, we do it at least once a month, and we do it to remember everything that we just shared here this morning, that Jesus is the true Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. And on that cross, you, you can see, hopefully in your mind's eye, that he was crucified on your behalf. His body was broken, and his perfect sinless blood was shed. And on that cross, he did that for you to bridge the gap between both legalism and licentiousness. Because there's kind of two streams that keep us from really experiencing God. One is legalism. I've got to do all the right things to accept God. And the other one is licentiousness. I can do whatever the heck I want. And both are pitfalls, and both will drown you. And the gospel that is Jesus bridges the gap over both streams. And that reality, we, we celebrate when Jesus himself, 2,000 years ago, I mean, when you step into this, you're, you, when we partake in communion together, you're partaking in something that was practiced before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus. You're talking about thousands of years of history. You're, you're practicing something that so many of the saints before us practiced. And that is to declare that, that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, and it also declares that we must consume upon Jesus. Jesus said, man is not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Which means that, that, that we have to feed upon Scripture. To feed upon Scripture is literally to feed upon Jesus. And to feed upon Jesus is to give one life and sustenance. It's the only way that, that, that just like if you don't eat, you feel weak. If you don't read and you don't pray, you're going to feel weak. We need to work at this, not to gain something but to, to grow in our relationship with God. Now, here's another caveat to this, okay? A whole other piece as they continue to hand, hand up the elements. Just like Paul cautioned here, he said, listen, false teachers will be punished. And I don't think this is necessarily like your job to punish a false teacher. God will handle it. 
There are many out there. But they will be punished. And likewise, there's a warning with communion. Communion says that, that to partake in communion is a family event. That is to say that, that if you believe in Jesus and you've made a faith proclamation that he is the Son of God and he died for your sins, then you should partake. But if, if you have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, the Bible says there would be a curse upon you to partake in this special meal and to not really be a committed follower of the Lord. So I would, I would just tell you, if you don't believe in Jesus this morning, no one's going to judge you, no one's going to look at you. We, we're glad you're here, but don't partake. At the same time, those of you who are Christians and you're struggling with sin, you should still partake, but confess of your sins first. Let, let the Lord know where you feel detached and let him be the bomb that heals you while you partake in communion to give you a fresh start. At the same time, if you are someone you say, I'm not a believer, I haven't followed Jesus yet, but I want to, then it's really, really easy to believe in Jesus. It's really, really easy to believe in Jesus. You confess with your mouth, you pray, if you will, that Jesus is Lord, that he is exactly who he said he is. You give your life into his hands and you repent from living life in your own hands. You stop doing it your way and then you make a commitment to do it his way. It's that simple and that easy to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I would pray you would do that this morning. Take a few moments, read over the, uh, the questions for this morning, meditate on them, answer them and pray, and then we'll partake together. you stand with me as we partake? <clears throat> Lord, we, um, we come before you, and, and I, think, I think, Lord, I would ask on behalf of your people and even myself for, for forgiveness of where we just missed the mark. It's, it's just too easy to do, and we confess to you that we truly are but dust, that, that we, don't have, we don't have your wisdom as we should. None of us in this room, if we're honest, follow you the way that we should or share our faith the way that we should. There's so many things that we could confess this morning. And for all of those things, we just say, we're sorry, would you forgive us? But even in light of that, I pray 
We understand, Father, that to confess to you is also to step into your love and your grace. That in spite of our shortcomings, you are for us and you are never against us. Thank you that we have been given access to a right relationship with you, to walk with you for eternity. Give us the ability to follow you well in 2020. May it be a year of of effort not to strive to gain, but to strive to see us grow in our intimacy and to see your kingdom grow. Convict us where necessary, Lord, and may that be a joy in itself as well. Conviction is not meant to be a heavy thing, but to be something that drives us closer to you in your throne. We thank you for what you've done in our church, not just in this year, Lord, but for the last 50 plus years. Thank you that somebody somewhere planted this place. Someone, someone else pastored and then someone and someone else after them. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would continue to do that in this church for many more generations. May we as a family be a bright burning light for the gospel of Jesus for as long as you decide. May we be obedient to you again because of what you've done for us. You were obedient to the Father. We say thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. His body broken for us. God bless you. See you next week. Mm-hmm.